0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Shifted Radio. I'm Mike. Today's episode is one that is pretty interesting for us here at Shifted because we're going to be talking about the CHL, Canadian Hockey League, versus the NCAA as a career path or a path towards a career when considering what you want to do with your hockey career. Now, I went the CHL route, my brother went the NCAA route, so we're going to be offering you guys our perspectives on our own personal journeys. Uh, Joining us on the show today is our friend Ted, and he will be conducting almost like an interview of us and ask us some questions, and then we will just have a nice little conversation about the matter, and hopefully you guys get some good, valuable information out of this. All right? And joining us today is my brother Dan and our friend Ted. Uh, How are you doing today, guys?
1: I am fabulous. (laughs) Mike, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, yeah. Enjoying the the warm weather down south for sure. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to have to try this uh, second time because the first time (laughs) Uh, it didn't work out so great because, uh, we recorded a whole bunch and the, uh, my phone, which I record on, uh, decided to, um, spontaneously combust. So we're going to try this all over again, uh, with these fine gentlemen here and we're going to, uh, we're going to start it off here. Let's get started. Uh, enough talking about the past. We're going to be moving forward here. Um, (laughs) Let's get uh let's get a little context into the mix. Uh Ted, why don't you uh go back and tell the viewers uh sorry, the listeners, um how you know us and uh where we first connected.
1: Uh well Mike, uh we first connected down when you were in Norfolk, uh, you know, fabulous AHL North back in the day mm-hmm. of two thousand. Love that spot eleven. Yeah, I bet. I had a lot of great memories. Um and then uh, you know, I kinda transferred over to, you know, the journalism side of things and and I uh you know, I kinda reached out to you wanted to do an article when you were back playing in the D E L and I kind of and we kinda linked up and that was a fabulous piece and I've uh I've uh not to toot my own horn. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um but um uh, but yeah, since then, uh, you know, I've, I've been following Shifted. I've been following your brother Daniel through Shifted, and and um, and right now I'm writing for the Sinbin.net, which covers the ECHL, the AHL, and the SPHL. So, you know, and then on top of that, I'm a I'm a dad of two fantastic children. One's twelve, not mine biologically, but I stepped into a stepfather role. And I have a two-year-old toddler who loves to scream and run all over the place. <laughs> and, uh, pretty sure you'll be knowing about that in a little while, Mike. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah but uh, other than that, I'm I'm a I work in the special ed field, and I also work in the mental health field. So that's just me in a nutshell. Wow well, is that is that all?
0: <laughs> that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, I think. I think it's great to have you on the show. I think you, you can bring a lot of uh, diversity and a lot of different perspectives. That's that's awesome. Um, so the way uh, we introed it, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A session. Uh, we'll let you lead the questions, and then uh, my brother Dan and I will we'll get to the answers. Um, <laughs> the answers as best we can. So, um, yeah, well, uh, it's a good uh, little intro that you gave us, um, you know. We appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, w- without further ado, uh, let's have these questions and let's see uh, let's see where we can get to.
1: All right. So, uh, you know, you know, like the topic we were discussing earlier is about, you know, CHL versus the NCAA route. Uh, Mike, I just want to start off with you by saying, uh, what kind of made you want to go play in the CHL and take that route?
0: Well, playing in the CHL... Um, you know, it was a it was a decision I made when I was uh, I think who seventeen at the time when I first started playing the CHL. I had been drafted um, when I was sixteen. Um, so the way it worked was when I was in my bantam year, it was my first year of AAA, which I was fifteen, and I had a really good season. I ended up getting drafted by Brampton in the ninth round, and then. Um, I went to their camps in the summertime and then uh, in the fall at their main camp. So, um, the way it works in, in Canada is you get drafted and you go to camps. And then if you play in an exhibition game, you have to sign a contract, basically a standard player agreement. So if you play in any games, you have to sign one of those. And once you sign one of those, you're ineligible to play in the NCAA. So, um, it's really important to have good people advising you at that time. So um, the coach that I had there, Stan Butler, he was really, really good. And he's had a really tremendous career uh, helping people and and kids and, and families all throughout his career, uh, navigate this path. So luckily for me, he was really informative and he was really good with me uh, telling me and my family what to expect and you know when i was 16 years old he was telling me that hey you know like you're gonna have to go back and play another year of midget get some get some more experience and, and come back next year and, and we'll see how it goes um so i went played my first year of minor midget and had a good year then i moved up to uh it's what's called tier two junior a which is uh it's like a segue league between minor hockey and junior hockey, major junior hockey in Canada. And it's where a lot of the players play while they're waiting for, you know, their call up to the OHL or if they're going to the NCAA. So I was playing in that league. um, And then, you know, I went to the camp in September. And basically what Stan told me was that he thought, enough of me to give me some exhibition games, but he said, you know, if you play these games, it's going to ruin your eligibility. So, you know, we're not there committal wise yet. Um, we want to see how you do in junior. And we also want to give you the opportunity to keep your eligibility open for NCAA. So Stan was really good about that. And he, you know, I discussed that with my family and he did. And so we decided he was going to go play, uh, you know, tier two, junior a and, you know, keep all my op- options open. So in the middle of November, I got a call saying that the team Brampton wanted to call me up, but I had just been injured. So uh, unfortunately for me, I wasn't able to take a, uh, take advantage of that opportunity at that time. So I had to wait uh, until the end of January. So by, in that time in between, I had been getting some calls from colleges and from universities in the States and, you know, I was fielding those questions. And during this time, like the whole season, I had been taking my SATs and I was focusing on school. I was going to university at uh, York University in Toronto. And I was trying to, you know, keep my options open towards going to college row. So when they called me at Brampton to say they want to call you up, um, stand talk to my family say, said, listen, we understand how it's going to go. Like we're preparing you for this, but uh, we really think you're going to make a – you know, a difference on our team. So we'd like to have you. So I went home, talked with my parents and basically they said, you know, listen, whatever decision you make, we're going to support it as long as it's what you want to do. So I did what I always did. And what I always do is I went, put my headphones on and I put on some Linkin Park and I you know, did some soul searching and decided, you know, what, what I really wanted to do. And I, and I tried to visualize, what I wanted to see for my life and what I wanted to see for my hockey career and where I wanted to end up. So, you know, I put uh, put my headphones on, I was listening to some music and, you know, it was probably like two or 3 a.m. one night. And, you know, I just found it in me that, you know, I really wanted to make hockey my career and I really wanted to pursue uh, it with all of my being basically. So, from that moment on, every decision that I made was geared towards playing professional hockey and making the NHL. So then that became easy for me to decide, Hey, listen, I'm going to go play in the OHL because in my estimation, based on, you know, my, you know, my makeup as a person, whether that's, you know, biomechanics or, you know, the mental attitude I had towards hockey and, you know, hockey IQ, and just, just a whole bunch of different factors. The fact that the team was close to home, um, it helped my decision. And I decided I was going to play in the OHL. And I ended up getting drafted after, you know, 11 playoff games. Uh, I ended up getting drafted to San Jose. Uh, and the, uh, the Sharks gave me an opportunity there. And I went to their training camp. And then, my, you know, my eyes were really open to what it takes to become a professional so I used that and I went into my rookie season in the OHL and I had a ton of confidence and I did really well that season. And then the next season I uh, had another good year and that set me up well for my professional career, you know, coming out a junior with a lot of confidence I think helped me to, you know, make an impact in, in the pro ranks, you know, relatively quickly because I had had, a lot of uh confidence coming
1: out of junior. Right. And uh you know, it's something that goes, you know, going back to the whole Lincoln Park thing. Lincoln Park really gets your blood blood flowing in there. Gets you think <laughs> quite a bit, man. Let me tell you, they're I great. totally agree with you. Yeah, they're yeah.
0: the best. I I call upon them all the time. And you know, it's really sad uh what what happened uh with Chester Bennington last year. You know, I was you know, pretty shaken up by it, but uh Their music has done so much for me in my life, and it will continue to. Um, So I mean, shout out to them for being awesome. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, second, yeah, yeah. I third that definitely. You know, I'm big. I'm big into end the stigma around mental health, man. Just need to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: so, so, Daniel, let's 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 cut to you, man. You uh, okay? uh, You totally took a different. Kind of path in your brother, Uh, you know, you went the NCAA route. Kind of, kind of paint a picture of, of you know, going NCAA and what that has done for you.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I was guided uh, into the NCAA. um, Sort of, I'm gonna say, you know, against my will, only because (laughs) I grew up, you know, seeing the success that Mike had in the OHL and moving. So quickly into you know into the pro high level pro hockey, I, it was always a dream of mine to play in the OHL and to to excel and to eventually move on. That was kind of the the ideal path I had for myself. But you know it became increasingly evident that I was a late bloomer and I just wasn't. I wasn't you know like so many like so many guys I know playing with now or so many kids coming up now. I just was not. Maturing physically the way I I had hoped, and you know my my brother, my my father, uh, thank goodness he's such a, a smart guy, having gone through the the mm-hmm. things that he went through with with Mike first and foremost, and you know had had a a lot better foundation to be able to you know, apply his knowledge to my to me and in my situation and my trainer as well, Dennis Lindsay, um, you know thank goodness for for those guys uh, in my life and, and them telling me that that the NCAA route was going to be a lot better fit for, for me, give me some, some time to mature and to grow into my body and to learn how to, to play um, as I was growing and eventually move into the college ranks. And you know what? I'm glad I did. I, I did not have, um, you know, in a Hobie Baker, you know, type career in college, but I did learn a ton about myself. I learned a whole lot about, the player I want to be. And, uh, it definitely rounded me out as a person for sure.
1: And it doesn't really hurt that, you know, you come out of, you know, Lake Superior and you, uh, and I think you get a chance to play with your, your brother fresh out of college. And, uh, that's right. And, uh, and, uh, Brampton Brampton of all Brampton. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Right back home. So that was, uh, uh, a dream come true. I'd say, I mean, we were For sure. five and a half years apart and we never really played together unless it was in the summer months. Um, never in like a real hockey game did we play on the same team and to actually, to actually do that. Like when we, when we figured out that, you know, it, it was going to come to fruition, you know, I remember being on the phone in the, in the cafe mm-hmm. at, at school and, you know, kind of saying to each other, is this is this really going to happen? And like, you know, and just being so excited, especially because it was so close to home and, so many friends and family who have known us our entire lives were able to uh to come out and support and just to be surrounded by that. That my, my initial um experience with pro hockey was, was one that I'll definitely never forget. Absolutely.
0: I, I would have to agree with that too. I mean I I played a lot of pro hockey and, you know, I was fortunate enough to play in the NHL and, you know, I'm still most grateful for that three week period or four week period that we got to play together. I think that was just, you know, I'll, I'll always look back on that time and say that that was just the coolest stuff to, to be able to do that, you know, with your bro every day, go to battle with him. I think, you know, we work together in the summertime we work out and train and, you know, we're, we're doing this shifted thing now. And, um, but there's something different when you get to lace up the skates beside, you know, someone that you, you know made believe that you were gonna lace up the skates beside your entire life as kids and then you actually get to go and do it, uh was just truly remarkable and it was it's something I'll never forget for sure. One of the absolute highlights of my hockey career.
1: For sure man, I saw it on, on Twitter and I was I was like, wow, that y'all must be really stoked for each other. Now I, I got one question one more out of that, and then we'll kind of scurry back to the CHL NCAA topic. But uh, mm-hmm. were your lockers right beside each other in the uh um, room?
2: No. Uh, we were kind of across the, the way from, from one another. But, um, you know, definitely I, I, we spent probably, I don't know, 10 to 12 minutes in our actual stalls sitting down. And yeah. we, <laughs> the rest of the time was spent, you know, in the gym together. Or on yeah. the floor, rolling around, stretching, and yeah. And, in my uh,
0: case, it's like four and a half, five minutes. So, like yeah, I, just, I just, just,
2: yeah, yeah, just sit down with enough time to get dressed and get on the ice. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. All right, so, uh, so let's going back to the NCAA CHL topic. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the level of play between the two, how do they how do they differ? Well,
2: okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just. Spearhead this one. I, I, I can speak on behalf of the uh, the NCAA route. I believe in the Mike, and I'll turn it over to Mike, and he can explain the, mm-hmm. the major junior look. Okay. But um, and you know NCAA college itself is is a very athletic style of hockey. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. It's sort of like playing football on ice, just because guys are so mature. Guys spend all week long. Um studying film for their opponents that weekend. they uh, you know we're in the gym three, four times a week um, most weeks. Um, we're practicing for an hour and a half at least per day, and we're going to class. so it's just it takes a toll on you, but you're also you're you're working towards peaking for the weekend. Um, you play a lot less games and you play, you know you you condense your games to Friday and Saturday every week um, and so you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to prepare and to kind of like I said to, to peak your, your body is, is working towards a peak on Friday and Saturday and I think that's why you're seeing so many you know so much speed and physicality and just tenaciousness in, in the game that, that comes with uh, the NCAA Yeah and
0: w- what I'll say about the uh, you know Canadian Hockey League um, my experience was in the OHL, but when you look at it uh, as a whole, the whole CHL, you have the QMJHL, which is Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. You have the OHL, Ontario Hockey League, and then you have the WHL, the Western Hockey League. Each one of those uh, brings a different dynamic. Um, regarding the OHL, uh, the way the game is played and the way it's uh, set up is that most of the games happen on the weekends, too. Uh, between Thursday to Sunday, and then you have the occasional Tuesday, Wednesday game. But, um, the way the game is played, uh, is very much more, uh, like puck possession style and more skill, uh, because these kids are just kids and they're, they're trying to be creative. Um, but they have, they haven't had the chance to have, uh, as much structure, uh, built into them as a college would have uh, because each and every day when you you know you're playing at school it's very structured very regimented and the kids are just the guys are just older right so they, they understand a lot quicker whereas when you're dealing with a 16 year old 17 year old even 18 year old 19 year old like they're just kids and you need to also be developing them as people and when you approach that Uh, when you approach that practice, you have to be cognizant of that. Uh, You you have to understand that when you're going to do drills, you have to do drills that are going to develop these kids to, yes, perform well for your team, but also what's the best type of drill that's going to develop these kids for the rest of their playing careers. And how can we do that with much less practice time than, you know, we want basically because if you practice on tuesday wednesday that you know you can have some you know practices where you get a lot of teaching done but then thursday is just kind of you know get ready for the game on friday saturday sunday and then you know all of a sudden the you know two three four weeks go by then two months go by you know like you're just you're getting a couple practices a week of really good high intensity reps and you, you know you're trying to build a team To win. So it's a very different dynamic when when you're talking about that. Plus, the kids are in high school. So you have to be recognizing that, you know, they've had long days already by the time they get to the rink, which is most of the time Mm -hmm. at 3.30 in the afternoon practice. And, you know, their mental uh, alertness at 3.30 in the afternoon after spending an entire day at school you know, sometimes can get they can get distracted pretty easily, and and you have to do things or be more patient to uh, you know allow for that because you know, there's a lot of different things going on. Where you know college, you know I'm I'm not sure you know exactly how each college uh, operates, but you know they have their their morning lifts and and then they get to class and they have school um, you know during the day then they'll have practice in the afternoon as well, but. When you're dealing with those players, they're typically older, you know, they're in their twenties or, you know, even their late teens, but the most of them are in their twenties and they are a lot more understanding, uh, of that schedule and they're, and they just have a little more experience.
1: All right Now, uh, now Daniel, was that the kind of the case for you? Like, uh, like going to like practice in the afternoon and like, um, you know, your uh, classes were mainly in the morning. Was that kind of your schedule? Uh,
2: Yeah, at our school. I know some schools are different, but for us, practice was every day at about 2, um, 2 till about 3.30 or 4 um, o'clock. So you'd have, if you had morning lift that day, you were up at, you know, the crack of dawn. You had uh, li- workout at 6 a.m. till about 7, grab a little breakfast, whatever you can, and uh, usually 8 o'clock class, class all the way until all the way until lunch so i mean on my heaviest days i had class until all the way up until one one o'clock or so um get to the rink for you know one thirty, two o'clock practice three four o'clock um and then you know after you get a little bite to eat and you know some days you even had night class for a couple hours so it gets to be a little bit long but you you plan for those days as well you learn to uh you learn to appreciate sleep a lot more than uh, when you're growing up. You know, yeah. it's funny. You know, it becomes a thing where your your punishments as a kid become kind of desirable after a while. You know, <laughs> to bed yeah. early and uh, yeah. and uh, you know, no dessert or anything like that. <laughs> it becomes kind of how you live your life um, for the most part. If you want to make good decisions, and um, yeah, it, it's you know, for us we practice in the afternoon, so it was kind of a a bit of a lull, but it was also something to look forward to in the middle of the day. So I, I appreciated it.
1: Yeah, there's a player I just talked to actually, uh, uh, actually, Sunday. A um, guy named Goes, uh, Derek Angeli plays for the Admirals. And I kind of asked him about his days at Ohio State and things like that. And he said it was like a, like, literally like an eight to five type of job type of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: Well, it's I mean, very, uh, it's it, it definitely teaches you how to manage your time. And that's one of the skills that I think uh, I learned a lot. Uh, you know, I, I definitely learned in, in spades um, being away at school for four years because, I mean, you either learn how to manage your time and to, to plan out your week or you get left behind. And um, it, it took me a little bit longer than I than I would have liked to, to learn that, that skill. But, um, yeah. You
0: know, it's important
2: that you learn that skill right i mean it's
0: part of our you know the transferable skills i think we did that episode like way back in november but um it seems like many moons ago but uh it's it's one of those things where you learn that right and it's just important that you do learn it whether whether it's you know earlier a little bit later uh the fact that you do learn that and you do recognize that will set you up better for you know what you're doing next or or your next job as a as a an athlete right like your when i say job i mean like the next team you go play for or or like your pro career and that sort of stuff
1: yeah um now now mike hopping back to the chl for a minute do you feel like you had a little bit more free time on your hands
0: um well for me not really, because to be quite honest, uh, my days were spent at school because I was attending university as well. So mine was a little bit different. The, the two years that I spent in the OHL, I was attending school, um, actually the, the first year. So I, I would have played in the league in three different years, but only two full years. And you know, the, the one sort of half or playoffs uh, of that year, I was in high school still. So I was leaving my high school uh probably about 20 minutes early to make it all the way to to Brampton for for practice at 3:30 in the afternoon. So um you know and then when I'm when I'm getting to uh to the rink I'm having to put on all my stuff and and jump on the ice for practice but uh the the free time that we had uh, was usually at night and then we'd finish our practices probably about 5, 5.30 and then we had a little workout, then I had to drive home and eat dinner, so and then I have to be up the next morning at, at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. to get to class for 8 a.m. and then I'd have 8 a.m. class uh, and the way it worked for me was our team had a 10 a.m. club for all the guys who weren't in school but I went to school from 8 to nine thirty, and then I drove all the way to Brampton because I had some time off uh, from 10 to 12, and then I, I stayed and, you know, I went to go work out from 10 to 11, and then I had class back at school at uh, 12 until 1 o'clock, or sorry, one thirty, and then from one thirty I would leave and go back to, to school. So it was a lot of driving around from, you know, Toronto to – to Brampton, but, uh, yeah, the, the free time that I had, I was spent in class. Um, so it was, it was a little bit different for me. Uh, I know typically the guys will have, you know, we used to do, uh, we'd go over to some of the guy's house or their billet houses, uh, the families that they would live with, they would, uh, generously offer up their basement for us to go and like watch hockey or, you know, some of them had, like, pool tables or, you know, like, we ping pong or whatever. And our our team, this is back, this is really going back, but we uh, one of a few of the guys used to really like the OC. So, we uh, we go and watch the, that show and then watch some hockey afterwards. So, uh, that's not dating me, is it? It's not, uh, I'm not that old. What,
1: no, uh-uh. what a <laughs> show. Uh-uh. Uh, no, you're, 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 uh. I'm 30, so like you're, I think you're a little bit older than me, but not by much. Yeah, yeah, not that much. (laughs) (laughs) So, so this brings me kind of to another point, uh, kind of scouting wise. I mean, I mean, talk about the scouting opportunities that you have in the CHL, Mike. Mm -hmm. And then, Daniel, you can talk about the scouting opportunities for the for the college ranks when it comes down to, you know, pro scouts being there, that type of stuff. Right.
0: Well, um, for the CHL, like, I think anywhere, right? Like, these scouts are are being paid by National Hockey League clubs, and there's a lot of them. And they're being paid to go and watch the best talent uh, there is. So they're, they're hitting, you know, all the leagues up. They're, they're getting out to Europe, too. Like, they're covering the entire world now. Like, it's really hard for, you know – Players to get, you know, forgotten or missed now because, you know, teams will employ so many guys all over the world. It's just getting so uh, so inclusive everywhere. Um, But pertaining to the CHL, I mean, that's their really their bread and butter. Um, It's where they scout the heaviest. They're they're getting uh, you know NCAA as well. But I'll let Daniel speak about that. But um, in within North America. You know, the, there are so many different scouts that are coming to watch games. You, know, you can, for, On any given night, you know, you'd go to a game and after the game, you, you know, you'd have probably you know, four to five scouts just standing outside the dressing room waiting to talk to various players. And sometimes if, if you were one of the guys that they were talking to, um, you know, if you weren't drafted, they might be, you know, you might have to talk to all of them. And they just have to wait their turn. So there's a it's very heavily scouted, and especially uh, in Ontario around the Toronto area, and uh, the GTA there. There's just so many. Um, so there's there's a lot of opportunity to be seen, and you know the cream always rises. So you know those players that are the best. It's very easy for everyone to know who they are and see them. the The hard part is assessing which players who aren't you know at the top right now will develop into top players So what are you looking for and that just comes down to fundamentals and th- theories and, and strategies by each team and each team will employ different strategy um, so that becomes kind of like the wild card. Uh, I will say that it's so so important to invest in in the people, and I'm, I'm very much about believing in the person, and I want to know exactly who that person is. Because if, if I can understand who they are and what motivates them, then I can get them to do, you know, what I'm setting out to do. So, if I'm a team and I'm looking at a player, you know, I, I want them to be fitting into my plan. So I have to know who they are as a person so that I can understand what they want to achieve and then how can I bring them value so that they'll in turn bring value to us?
3: Dan?
2: Yeah, no, as far as the, as far as the, the college ranks go, I think it has a lot more to do with your connection with any certain scout, whether, you know, he was a, a former, player at your school or in a, in, in another, at another uh, university or, you know, whether he prefers or the team prefers major junior players versus NCAA players. Um, You know, the, the Skelts are definitely there. Let's not kid ourselves. They, uh, they're in the building. As with any league, when you play the, the, the higher ranked teams, um, you know, with some, with some of the best players, you know, in the world at that age, you know, there's going to be attention and, you know, there's going to be players being asked to speak to three or four different teams after games or over the course of a week. And um, it's a little bit of a different animal with, with college athletes, just because you have to figure out whether or not they're willing to, to leave school or if they're planning to stay all four years and finish a degree because, you know, then it comes down to whether or not you can, you know, invite them to, certain amount of uh, camps or a development camp versus a main camp invite or a contract per se so it, it, it you know as mike said as mike alluded to you have to dive deep into you know the player's mindset and their makeup and find out you know all that you can about them and that's why i think these scouts have a very very difficult job but a very important job as well and when when they when they get things right you know they look they look very good and you know, it shows they, they definitely work very hard at what they do. And, um, you know, as, as players, you just, you just want to give yourself the best opportunity to advance and, you know, the best way to do that obviously is to perform <laughs> game after game. So. All
1: right. And I, and I definitely see now, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe five, six years ago, guys were coming in, you know, straight out of the CHL. Now it's more guys coming in, finishing maybe two, three, or even maybe four years of college coming in to go play pro. Is that how it's kind of going? Do y'all kind of see it that way now too?
2: Yeah, I think that the, the way that just, you know, teenagers in general are, the, the, their growth curve now for whatever reason, it's a little bit of a, a slower um, process than it was maybe even 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, I don't know if Mike, you got, you would agree or, you know, you guys, you older guys would, uh, would agree with, <laughs> with what I'm saying, but, um, you know, it, it seems like every year the kids just get, they get a little bit smaller, a little bit, you know, less mature maybe, um, year after year at the same age. And so I think you're seeing a lot more players now being not so much held, but, you know, being told to, uh, to kind of wait it out and, and wait for their best opportunity to to turn pro and, and to, to kind of carve out their career. I think you're seeing a lot more players now than ever before actually go from playing major junior to going and playing CIS, which is, uh, you know, Canadian collegiate university hockey. Um, U-sports now. Yeah, U-sports. Uh, U-sports so sports, just yeah. because they need, it feels like they need an extra year or two just to, Really mature and grow into their bodies, they they might be very very good in excelling and excelling, and you know as a hockey player. But you know their their athletic foundation just isn't quite set yet, and they're still learning to play within their their frame. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot more players stick it out a few more, maybe a year or two longer than they would have. Like I said, maybe 10 or 12 years ago.
0: And, and I think my interpretation uh, of all that, of the question, uh, and that is, is something you know when you're talking about guys coming out of junior versus guys coming out of NCAA and going straight to and going to pro hockey or getting contracts and and this and that and you know when I when I look at it now I see that the the leagues are getting younger and the the length of career is getting uh, I think significantly shorter because of, you know, they're coming out of college, first of all, uh, a little bit more often than they did before. And that already, you know, takes off however many years uh, between, you know, 18 when they're first eligible and, you know, 24, 25 when they graduate college and then they're coming right into pro. So they're getting an opportunity right away but their, their leash, I would say, is significantly shorter, you know, than some, you know, than one of the kids that's 18 years old where they can grow and they can build with, with these guys. So they're being a little more patient with a lot of them. And they're really investing a lot into them. And they're seeing them through, uh, you know, four or five years of development. And then they're hoping that, you know, if they have enough. That you know some of them are going to turn into be really good prospects and and grow with their team on the long term um, that's why that's why college uh, the, the kids that come out of college they have an advantage earlier, but they they tend to uh, if they don't take advantage of that opportunity early, it tends to become a little bit harder for them because they're older and then they haven't had the you know, the film familiarity within the organization. Uh, there's something to be said, you know, when you go to development camps and you go to main camps and then you're being talked to by all their scouts and you're just getting to know the organization and they're getting to know you. So they start to develop that relationship with you. And when you're in college, you know, with all these rules in, in the NCAA and where you can attend things where you can't, there's a lot more friction there. And then, if you're a non-drafted player, you know you, you haven't had any contact with NHL teams and you sign a deal and then all of a sudden maybe you get a couple of NHL games, if you had a if you were lucky enough to be doing quite well in in college, but then you know the next year you're in the American Hockey League and you know if you don't get a call up after that for that season, then it's you know usually you're moving on to somewhere else and then it's hard to find that stability because you haven't been in someone's organization since you were young. You're, you know, you, you've been in college since then. So that, that's a, that's a really honest take uh, on it. And it's something that a lot of people might not consider, but I know that that's, you know, how it works because it just, it just makes sense fundamentally. That's if, if you have someone that you've been able to try to mold into, you know what you want to accomplish as an organization you're definitely going to be more loyal to them than someone who's you know you've just gotten to know for the last year, and they're older when the league is trying to go younger
1: so so you know i've I've kind of seen this as like a kind of it's not really a common occurrence, but maybe y'all can kind of attest to it um, over the last couple of years i've seen I've seen a couple players that come straight out of major junior, use their, play two or three games, opt to use their scholarship package, and then go play uh, U sports. How uh, do you think that's beneficial to their to their development?
0: Well, I mean, I've seen guys and I've played with guys who have who have done that. They've gone to play pro. Uh, usually what happens is after you finish junior, you have until December 31st to decide if you want to go back to college or want to go back to Canadian university and use your school package because the way it works is the Canadian hockey league teams will give you a school package based on however many years you've played with the team. So if, you know, the player – goes and starts playing professionally and they play all the way until the middle of December and they realize, hey, listen, you know what? It's not working out right now. Uh, As a 20-year-old, as a 21-year-old, I'm going to go to school and get some extra years of development or I'm going to get my education. They can go uh, to Canadian University and they can play there and then they can have that four years or three years to develop and then hopefully get a chance somewhere uh, after that. The problem with that is the same sort of thing. You know, like you don't have, you haven't built up that uh, familiarity with any professional teams. And then when, you know, you're, you're basically just in the same boat um, when you're talking about making a career for yourself, except for you're just older uh, when you come out of college. Uh, the only thing that you would be having that would be beneficial is the uh, the opportunity to get some sort of degree, uh, undergraduate degree from school. Uh, so, I mean, that would be beneficial to some people if they deem that to be beneficial. So, uh, that's uh, that's what I would say on that.
2: Yeah, I, I would I would yeah. second that statement. I think that, like I said before, you're seeing a lot more guys wanting to go wanting to turn pro but they're just simply not ready and so they 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 use their school package which I you know I depending on the situation it might be a, a good idea for some and not a good idea for others but regardless it's an option for them which is I mean which is smart so they're they're using their extra year or two to um, you know play maybe refine their skills build some confidence. Chip away at a, at an undergraduate degree, and then turn pro when it makes sense for them. Now that doesn't always work in everyone's favor, but it's an option that's available to them, and and so I think that's why you're seeing more and more players go that route.
1: All right, now, now, Daniel, I have a question for you too. Now, kind of, kind of the, uh, what is the percentage of guys that are in the SP right now that have completed all four years of of college that are playing with you or, you know, that you've been playing against? Well,
2: just from guys that I've met um, and, and players that I know around the league um, that I either played with or played against in, in, in college, I would have to put the number somewhere in the, the high 70s, probably 75 to 80% of players. Um, and that's, that's also trending upwards because as more and more guys come out and graduate, and end up playing in the East Coast and SPHL and and other leagues. You're going to see more and more guys that are staying and completing a four-year degree and then turning pro.
1: Now, uh, now, my uh, get a little bit of your input on it. Uh, guys that you're playing with overseas, how how many have 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 done college or have completed college?
0: Well, it's a little bit different over here because uh, most of the guys who are playing over here uh, the imports over here right, yeah. which would be the North Americans uh, are are mostly the older uh, guys who have played professionally for a number of years in North America and then they come over here to play uh, in Europe um, so uh, you know they you know they, they tend to um, you know have been either high high draft picks or, you know, like high prospects. And because when, when you come over to, to Europe from North America uh, as an import, there there is a level of pressure uh, over here to produce so that they really uh, want to get, uh, you know, some good value. So they're bringing over some good players and they're getting, you know, better and better players every year uh, in the higher leagues for sure. Um, but you know the guys that are coming over here it's a it's a good mix between college and uh, major junior i I really don't know um, you know what the percentage uh, split would be i mean it's tough to say because uh, yeah I, I, these guys have been playing for a number of years so I mean right it's really, I mean, I don't, I don't really know, you know, what percentage I would put on it. Um, yeah, I, 50-50 is a very, uh, very easy thing to say, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like all the teammates that I've had over here. And, you know, it really is, uh, you know, probably 50-50. Although uh, right. I know more and more college guys are coming over here after graduating uh, instead of, you know, if they're, you know, whether if they're not high prospects coming out of college, uh, some of them are opting to come straight over to Europe and and make some money right away, which right. is uh, kind of an interesting play, and it could be beneficial for for some of them. So I mean, that's something to watch out for in the in the coming years
1: for sure. Could it also hurt a player that that you know goes from goes from North America? And then go straight to Europe, could that kind of I mean I mean I mean obviously it didn't hurt Austin Matthews, but like uh, could that hurt like a player's chances and you know development down, you know down the line?
0: Honestly, no, because yeah. I really think that if they're not getting a chance in North America straight away out of college, um, they can only help them to develop where they can go somewhere and play. As opposed to going or not having a chance anywhere and then not in like ending up not playing anywhere. So uh, the opportunity to develop somewhere over in Europe, I mean, these these places over here, like they have really good teams and really good leagues. And, you know, their top leagues are really good. And then their second leagues are pretty good. Right. Like each each country has you know their system of how it works as well. And, and all of them are getting better year after year. And you know you can see that when you when you're talking about international play, you know a lot of teams can compete with everybody on any given night. So um, the ability to attract that talent from all over the world is getting getting stronger. And there's a lot more guys that want to go and play over in Europe uh, because a the lifestyle is really good. I mean. Let's be honest, you know, living in (laughs) Europe, playing hockey is a lot more, you know, desirable when you're talking about away from the rink activities, uh, because it's just, it's just a different lifestyle than what you're used to back home in North America, that it's, that's a, you know, that's a draw all in itself. And that's a really fun part for for some of these guys. So, you know, I I really think that that's going to be a trend to watch for in the coming years. I mean, You know, Austin Matthews, he got some press because he went over to, you know, Switzerland to go and play. Um, But I really think that there's some good leagues that you can send your players to. Like, you know, if if you're a team right now and you have a prospect, even let's say, and you want him to develop uh, a two-way game, quite honestly, like send them to Sweden to play in either their top league or even their second league, the Elsvenskan. And, you know, they're going to learn a lot about playing a two-way hockey game over there because it's so structured and they focus so much on developing good two-way players. And, you know, the ice surface is much bigger, so you have to cover a lot more of the ice. You have to think a little bit differently. But, you know, they're doing a good job of developing... Uh, players, uh, two way and two dimensional, uh, playing offensive and defensive. And, you know, I, I think that's a really good play, actually, for organizations to think about um, if they don't want to put them in the American League or if they can't put them in the American League or the East Coast League.
1: Uh, Daniel, how do you feel about that? Do you think, you know, what, do you kind of agree with Mike? Yeah, no, I, 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 I've seen a lot of guys that.
2: You know, they, they just for whatever reason they they think that, um, and this is this is franchises and teams I'm speaking of. Um, they they think that you know there's only two routes for development, but there's there's so I mean, Austin Matthews it was a prime example. He he just proved that there are so many other avenues that we really haven't explored as as young players just yet, in terms of developing different facets of our game. I think the the beauty lies in each individual's journey and, and the the story that they have coming up I mean no two stories are are the same but different, definitely different parts of Europe and Mike can definitely speak to this point but different parts of Europe different parts of you know North America even within the countries um, you know they have they have different strengths that their their players are known for Certain things in, in certain regions of the world. Um, and so, you know, it takes nothing to to go to a certain place and learn a different, you know, facet of your game and bring that in, in a year's time, be that much better as a player, be that much more well rounded.
1: All right. So, so, you know, basically around this time of year, you know, college season starts winding down, uh, thinking March maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 March, it starts winding down. Um, and you see a lot more guys, uh, you know, especially in the AHL and the ECHL and the SP. You see a lot more guys now this year. I mean, not this year, but, you know, it's been trending a lot. They, they go in and sign, you know, ATOs or, you know, PTOs. You know, how, how is that, you know, experience for them hopping right, right out of college well, to pro,
2: in almost in, immediately. I mean, in my experience, teams are definitely planning for it. I think there's a a surge because right. you know, your team is either is either doing well and you know, you're looking for some some young enthusiasm to to help your team, or the flip side, you know, your, your team's not doing so well, and you're just looking for any sort of spark. And you know, regardless, bringing a young guy in and, and giving him a, a chance to to run and, and to, you know, to, to play and to play big minutes um, depends on the, the coach that you have and the philosophy that he he's laid out. Um, but I think, you know, these guys, you know, I, I've been there, I've been one of the the kids coming in um, and I've seen, I've seen on the other side being a, a guy that's had to kind of take a younger guy under my wing. Um, it's a lot to ask for them, but at the same time, there's, there's only as much pressure on them as they put on themselves. I think you're definitely given a little bit of a longer leash just because, you know, you're, it's known, okay, you're the young guy. You're probably going to make a few mistakes before you, before you learn the ropes. But um, these teams I know are definitely preparing for it. And the, the guys for the most part, I think like it. I, I know I'm a big fan of it just because, you know, the young guys bring a lot of enthusiasm and bring an extra jolt to your lineup that, you know, in the dog days of the season, you just don't have it for whatever reason. So, See,
0: I have been, um, you know, part of that for a number of years and uh, in North America, you know, seeing these guys come out of college and, you know, being in the AHL, these, they're getting, uh, you know, a lot of the top prospects that are coming from, from colleges. And then you get some higher prospects that are signing with a particular team and, you know, the ones that don't go straight to the NHL for the end of the season. Uh, they'll get placed in, you know, the uh, the American League. So I, I, as teams are planning for this and, you know, the players on the teams, they all know this. Uh, truthfully, like, they shouldn't – like, the players that are coming in, they probably know that they're not going to be met with uh, with open arms from all the guys because it's quite competitive. I mean, you you're asking a guy to come in and take someone else's spot, basically – So it's not going to be an easy transition. And the guys that are there on the team currently, uh, you know, some of them are going to feel very threatened by these players coming in and they're going to make them know it either in practice by being pretty hard on them, you know, like going hard on them and, and like, you know, battling super hard to keep their jobs because honestly that's how it should be. And, you know, these, these kids that come out of college and, think that they're going to get it all or these young kids that come out of major junior that think they're going to get it all. And when they get to pro um, you know, they get met with a little bit of resistance uh, and it's just how it is. It's just how they're going to learn, right? It's just how they're going to learn that this is what you really need to do. Because when you come in and you, and you think that like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm playing pro hockey. This is great. Isn't that, well, there's some, you know, Thirty-year-old man who uh, needs to put food on the table for his wife and kids like that's that's his bread and butter. That's that's how he makes his money. Uh, he ain't gonna let you just come in and just waltz around and take his spot. Like he he's gonna make sure that you earn everything. And you know that's where I think the mentality coming into pro hockey is a little bit lacking right now because that's that was my experience of it. So when, when young guys would come in, like, we would know that, like, hey, you know, if it was a forward coming in, right, like, the forward lines, they would all be pretty tense, and you could just see that the guys are going to go a little bit harder on them in practice, you know, or if it was a D coming in, you know, you're, you're going to be passing him, like, giving them really hard passes, and, like, seeing what they got, right, like, you want to make sure that they know, like, Hey, this isn't going to be easy for you to just come in here and take that spot. And quite honestly, I really believe it should be like that because if they come in there and they just get everything handed to them, it's just going to do nobody any good. The team is not going to be any good. The individual is not going to be any good. Like they're not going to be in a better position. You know, they they might get a little bit, you know, for in the short term, but in the long term, like they're not really understanding how to go out and earn you know, their spot and that's my experience on it. And that's just something that I feel, you know, really passionate about. And I think it's the the obligation uh of the team that the player is going to to make it to make it inviting for them, like the organization, to be like, hey, listen, it's gonna be really good. And it's the obligation of the players to make them feel welcome as individuals and as people. But when you go on the ice, you got to know that hey, you got to strap on your skates and you got to you know put your work boots on because hey, you're not just going to come here and take my job. You know, I, you're you're going to have to you know fight me for it basically.
1: So, so like when let's say like like a team's first round pick of last year's draft teams doesn't make the doesn't make the Mem Cup comes down he's a first round pick thinks he's you know all that in a bag of chips because he's you know first round pick best on the team and then he gets hit by that by that you know wall like you were talking about do you think do you think his mentality do you think of, that players like that mentality mentality changes immediately or do you think it, it, it takes some time
0: well truthfully uh we we're talking about the first round picks um Generally, if they have been playing in the uh, the CHL playoffs and then they get called up, uh, it's usually going to be somewhere in playoff time. So April or, you know, end of March, getting ready to playoffs. And if it's their top prospect, you know, chances are they're not going to be sending them to the American League. A, because they're not allowed to until they're 20 years old. And B, because they're just, you know, they're not going to send them to the American League. They're going to keep them at the NHL club because, you know, that's that's just how it is. And rightfully so, they're going to invest a lot of money into this kid. They want to make sure that they keep them. And, you know, generally, these kids are pretty good. And and they've warranted being selected uh, at that high of a draft pick. But, you know, some of them, some of them are anomalies and they... You know, they aren't as good as they, they seemed, and some of them are better than what they seem. So you, you'll get a, a very wide uh, variety of it. But for the most part, you know, they're not going to be sending those kind of guys to the American League. Where you see guys go to the American League is more, you know, at the end of the season is more like the college guys coming out of college. Or, you know, you get uh, maybe an older major junior player coming. Coming. At the end of the of the end of the season, the only time you're allowed to send uh, a prospect to the American Hockey League is when their team is done the playoffs. You can send them right. to the AHL, and most of the time, it's not their first round picks; it's their seventh round picks, like I was. And you go in and you uh, you know you, you play with the team, but it just depends on what stage that team is in you know if they're fighting for a playoff spot or if they're not going to make the playoffs or if they're comfortably in the playoff positioning you know that that depends on you know the coach and what kind of opportunity he's going to give the player but still the same thing applies like anytime there's a new person coming in you know the the tensions are going to be slightly higher and they're going to want to make sure that these new guys coming in uh, you know they know they have to earn their spot
1: I just I just remember it just popped in my head that uh Carter Ashton got sent down to Norfolk after his playoff run ended in uh uh back in like uh oh nine, oh ten. That's that's what just popped in my head and he got sent down. He was like what drafted by Tampa, what, twenty seventh, twenty eighth, whatever he was drafted by and he came straight to straight uh-huh. to Norfolk after junior season ended. So so that's that that's what just popped into my head. I just Knowledgeable well, Car-
0: <laughs> yeah. Carter came to that team uh at the end of the season. I think we were, well, oh, were we in playoffs at that time yeah. when he got
1: there? Um, uh,
0: at the 2010 2011 season,
1: yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. It was because it's first year like under Cooper,
0: yeah. So we were playing there, and then Tampa was uh, how were they doing that year? They oh, they were in the playoffs still. Uh, they, actually that 's the year that they lost uh, in game seven of the third round, and he ended up yeah. he ended up going to be a black ace with Tampa after that anyway so right. they they had uh, they had intentions for him um, but you know they wanted to get him into some more games and it was a high pressure situation like the playoffs so and he could yeah. definitely help i mean we had i don 't know if you remember that se- that season but we started uh, the series we won the first two games and then
1: also, yeah.
0: Well we had our top six forwards all out with injury or call up uh for the next four games. So it was a little bit of a tough yeah. road. So we were looking for bodies and then Tampa knew that, so they brought we brought Carter in there. So
1: that was uh, that was the story there. And it was and it was against Wilkes barre Yes, against that's correct. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 So uh uh so so Daniel, I kinda got a uh I kinda this is kinda off topic a little bit, but uh yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, Sam Fritoric, you know, uh, he uh he uh, this is a he funny story a little while, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Sam Fritoric was your coach for a little while, right? In, in uh in um yeah. in
2: in Roanoke here, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: he was, yeah, yeah, Roanoke, and and uh, this is a kind of funny story. You uh, you know, he's uh he signed a deal with uh, Norfolk, right? yes, yes, yeah. I was
2: aware that there's some guys uh yeah. that were here previously that were up uh, on that team at the time uh, um and you know getting getting pictures of of his equipment in the stall after he did after he had, after he had coached us last year it was it was something that was uh, it, it was pretty funny, but you know the guy to be honest with you, the guy just loves to play and you know it, with his his dad, I think, is is coaching there as well. So yeah, he is. I mean, all the all the best to him. It, it's a it's a great opportunity to you know to play with and go to the rink with your with your father every day. That's if incredible. I was, yeah. huh? If I was him, you know, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know if I wouldn't be taking the same chances as well. I, the guy loves to play. He, he, could, he could probably play for another you know five six years at least. So um, I hope he does well, and I hope their their team uh, you know does well down the stretch.
1: He he he's uh, he was he was born in uh 1974, so that makes him the oldest player by far. But he really, yeah. he he really settled settled down that blue line a lot. And what makes it more interesting is that you know he just got voted into the ECHL Hall of Fame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, so. Right. that's kind of makes it kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, but uh, if. If you all have anything more to share, I think I have pretty much everything I need.
0: That's pretty cool. Those are some good questions. Um like, yeah, I got really I got
1: I definitely think we can
0: um further along this conversation by, you know, a couple questions at least. Um you know, we were talking a lot about you know the psyche of the athlete and, and all that stuff. Now I know you mentioned that you do some stuff with mental health. Um right. uh, I have a question. Uh, what do you think about, uh, the role of mental health in an athlete, in an athlete setting? Like, what are some of the things that a will make a mentally strong person and b some things that, you know, people should look out for when talking about someone who, you know, doesn't seem quite right or quite being themselves.
1: Well, let's start off with the, with the first question, Mike. I mean, I mean the the second part of your first question, what to look out for. Well, you know, basically the signs. You know, kind of keeping them to themselves, and not really themselves. They kind of, you know, they kind of, you know, let's say, you know, y'all boys after, you know, leave the locker room, go, you know, you always go out to lunch. Guy doesn't go. Guy kind of ex- excludes himself, or, or he just doesn't seem him, see himself, or, or. Or you know he's he's always seems down in the dumps, or, or like even if he's like in like a like very very happy all the time, manic mode, that type of stuff. Just just you know, just look out. Just just be on the lookout. Those are the type type kind of type of the signs to look out for. I mean, and just 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 straight up ask. I mean, like the more, I mean, you'll be surprised how caring somebody will be. You know, if you just ask. You know. I've always found out too that initially, you know, there'll be some, you know, pushback. But you know, don't push too hard. But just send them the text, like, or say something every day, man. Like, hey, how you doing? You know, or you know, what's going on? Don't be too pushy, but at the same time, let them know that, hey, I'm here for you. And then, and then to go into like the 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 play, you know, the mindset of the athlete. It's you know. I find out too, the more you work out and the more you, the more you exert your body, you know, you release endorphins, which is, you know, that chemical that just makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. So, so like, I think, you know, working out and, you know, staying active and, you know, playing the games you love. I mean, that's going to make you mentally happy. For sure.
0: Dan, do you have anything to add on, uh, on that real quick?
2: No, I I mean, I've, I've been, uh, I've been in that situation where you, you can kind of tell that a guy is just, just a little bit off. And, you know, I, I've, I think we've all dealt with, uh, some serious stuff. Um, and just, just knowing sometimes, you know, and I know that the guy reached out to me later on after we had, you know, kind of opened, had an open rapport and, you know, he reached out to me, um, after the fact and, and it told me that you know just the simple act of of caring and just genuinely asking hey are are you okay and hey what's going on you need something just just kind of being there when you know he's away from his family or just feeling homesick or feeling you know however he was feeling on a day-to-day basis just the the simple act of of being there for him just went such a long way for him. And so I definitely agree with, with Ted. I think it, it it all comes down to just simply being an outlet for that person and, and being a, a someone that they can lean on and just someone who can, who can hear them out.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's, these are all, you know, fine and great points. I think those are, those are awesome. You know, it's good to get some awareness about things that we can actually do, Um, you know, but, Sometimes it's scary like you you know some people just you just can't tell uh you know like you know just recently I bring this up because you know just recently one of my uh, former teammates and uh, he was actually a good friend of mine at the time uh Andrew Carroll uh just passed away um I played with him in Connecticut in in uh Hartford with uh with the Whale um but uh you know he was he was he was an oddball, but he was just a great human being. He was such a funny guy. Um, he genuinely made you feel uh, special and important when you were around him. He cared uh, so much about his teammates, about his you know his family, about his faith, and you know he cared a lot about well, everyone that he came into contact with. And you know when I read the story and heard the reports about you know, some of the things coming out of there, you know, you just, it just really stopped me in my tracks. And, and it says like, you know, this could happen really to anybody and, and you don't know what's going on in someone else's life. And, you know, you can, it's really tough to judge people, um, you know, unless you've walked a thousand miles in their shoes. And uh, I think it's, it's hard to, truly understand what someone is going through and what I'm really passionate about is, is, you know, like we're, we're all, we're all in it together. We're all equal and we all have some role to play in each other's lives, whether, you know, one person is there to be competitive with another person or whether, you know, you're there to be that, you know, support person for another one. Or, you know, if you're there to say, Hey, listen, you gotta be better, right. To hold people accountable you know, every person is important and every person is vital. And, you know, we have to use those resources, but we definitely have to employ more empathy and and kindness to people when we, when we meet each other, because, you know, quite honestly, you never know what's going on with someone else, right? Like you, you can meet someone and they can be a terrific person. And then, you know, the next day something could happen that, you know, you don't know and they meet someone else and, they're just uh, you know in a terrible mood and they have a bad experience and you know you have two two different people who met the same person and have totally opposite opinions of them. So it's all about the context and the backstory. And you know, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, that story and give a little you know of a sentiment to my uh, to my friend Andrew there and who is a tremendous person and you know just wanted to get a little more awareness out to people that. You know, the the best way that you can help someone else's mental health is to, you know, do small things, you know, from day to day that you would never think of, you know, and, and it's just doing it to everybody, whether someone is feeling bad, whether someone is feeling bad or feeling happy, it doesn't, it doesn't mean, you know, you have to go out of your way to do something great for someone every single time. It means, you know, holding the door open for someone when they're walking through behind you or like saying hello when you're in an elevator with someone or, you know, like offering, you know, a handshake when you meet someone, like just little simple things like that goes miles and miles further for, you know, mental health, because it just connects us all. And and that's what we need is more connection. And we just need to, you know, make each other happy. And, you know, I think I I just wanted to, you know, touch on that topic a little bit with you on the show.
1: No. And, 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 you know, it burns, and, you know, you know the other thing is that, you know, I want to get out there, too, is, you know, don't be afraid to go ask for help. I mean, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, if you feel, you know, if you feel down in the dumps or, you know, whatever, you know, don't be afraid to go get help. You know, no help. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We harp on, you know, if you have the flu, go see the doctor, you know, that type of stuff. But, But, like, hardly anybody ever says, you know, oh, you're sick you know, sick in the head, go, you know, you got a mental illness, go see a doctor. Nobody really says that. And that's, we need to harp more on that. I think that's the biggest thing is we take care of our bodies, but we also need to take care of our mind.
0: Yeah. You know, like everyone's got their problems. Like, you know, your, your shit is not more important or less important than my stuff. Like your stuff is your stuff. And, And what's important to note is that we just need to all. Understand that simple thing is like we all have our stuff, and we're all just trying to make it, you know, better for ourselves. And you know, you just need to be empathetic with people and, and kind to people, and, and that I think that's just the, the the basic way we can help each other out in that regard.
1: All right, I totally agree.
0: Well um dan do you have any more questions or more, any anything you else you want to touch on uh at this time uh in the, in the show
2: No, i mean i think we uh i think we covered covered quite a bit there yeah um, we got a
0: little off topic sorry at the end there but uh yeah i think it was a really productive show for sure hey we
2: have a lot of we have a lot of information to uh to get out to the masses and i hope <laughs> that anyone who's oh, yeah. listening in is finding this helpful uh, i know we it took uh it took us a couple, a couple sessions a couple to, tries, uh, yeah. to get the yeah. final product, but you know what they say, you know, the, the early bird gets the worm, but the, the second mouse gets the cheese. So. Yep. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: <laughs> totally agree, man. Totally agree. <laughs> second time works.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, no. So I appreciate you guys both, uh, coming on the show. Uh, Dan, of course, you, you know, you, you, you hosted with me quite often and, uh, you know, Ted, it's your first time on. We uh, really appreciate you being on. I Hope the article is good. Hope our answers um, helped you out. And uh, if people want to uh,
1: follow your work, where can where can they follow you at? Uh, they can follow me uh, on my Twitter account at Bauer Hockey Dude, like the company Bauer Hockey.
0: Awesome Twitter handle, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. great, great.
1: Handle. Uh, growing up, uh, growing up, uh, you know, playing hockey, I love Bauer stuff. And I still, to this day, love Bauer stuff, even though I'm not playing anymore.
2: <laughs> Shout to Bauer Hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and then to check out my work, uh, you just simply go to the sinbin.net and go click, scroll down, click on the Norfolk Animals, and you'll see a bunch of my stuff. And maybe here shortly, uh, maybe I'll do a, you know, I got an article idea in my head, do a do a story about how shifted hockey came along and everything like that. I just popped in my head too.
0: That sounds fantastic. I mean, I'm sure I can <laughs> echo. A great there. idea. I'm on board for that as well. Yeah, I yeah. think we're definitely <laughs> on board for that <laughs> for sure. Well, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Ted, for for joining us. Um, yeah, guys, make sure you guys go and check him out, uh, and uh, don't be afraid to uh, tweet at him and let him know that he is doing a good job and you uh, you really like this episode. And, uh, we'll see if we can get you guys connected, um, you know, and stay connected with all our, our listeners and, and people that we have on the show. So, uh, Ted, thanks for joining us and, uh, we really appreciate it and we'll, uh, look forward to having you on again.
1: No doubt. Thanks guys.
0: All right, guys. Yeah. Have a good day.
1: Thank you. Yep. You
2: too.
0: Yep. All right. Ciao. Thanks so much guys for listening to the podcast. We hope that today's episode really brought you some value. We hope that we touched on a few things that could be valuable to you if you're in a position to be making some of these choices regarding NCAA versus the Canadian Hockey League, or if you just want to know more information now, or if it may affect you or your kids or anyone you know later. So... If you know someone that could benefit from hearing this, please share it with them. And if you would do us a huge favor in helping us get this message to other people who could use it, leaving us a rating on iTunes and a comment on iTunes will help other people to see it. And the reviews are so important because it allows people to see that what is being talked about is relevant to them if they're searching for it. So we really appreciate you guys listening and let us know how we're doing and what you thought and we'll talk next time. Thanks, guys.